Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by our worship pastor, Brian Self. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Uh, I'm going to say if there's anything that's helpful tonight, I'm going to say that I wrote it. That is a lie. If there's anything helpful, uh, hopefully... uh, I will be able to help a little bit with uh, some of what Micah has already done, so much prep work, and I know he's repurposed a lot of this even for his church with their kind of Sunday school, or uh, I forget what they, what they call it at the moment, but basically that Sunday school hour uh, before church, uh, they've been utilizing a lot of this, and uh, so he's been able to not have to prep two different things, uh, but it's basically all been for us. Um, yeah, actually, if you could uh, pass these out, it's just little things of two. Send those out to everyone. All right. Uh, I am I am very excited. Uh, I've got to sit in uh, the class two weeks ago and then got to listen through uh, listen through some of the others online and uh, via the podcast. Um, These are just incredibly helpful things for every Christian. Uh, If there have been any weeks that you weren't able to be here physically, I hope that you'd go back and listen to uh, some of the ones, uh, especially the one from two weeks ago, uh, where Micah talked specifically about um, the the benefit of realizing the different portions of Scripture. Uh, I have on here a small recap. The first week we learned that the Bible is a story of God's redemption of humanity. It's not uh, primarily, Micah mentioned, a, a self-help book. It's not uh, you know primarily a list of do's and don'ts. It's not even necessarily a book of prophecy in the sense of, okay, you read this and it tells you everything that's going to happen in the future. Primarily, the Bible is a story of God's redemption of humanity, though it includes many other things within it. And then, as he mentioned, the Bible is split into sections that kind of dictate how we read them. Uh, so there's the books of history, uh, both in the Old and New Testament, things that go over uh, the creation of the world, Abraham's family. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, the story of Jesus and the book of Acts and, and uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And so there's books of history, and that kind of informs how we're supposed to read that and what we aren't supposed to take from it. Uh, Judas went and hung himself after betraying Jesus. That's not an instruction for us to, after we fail Jesus, uh, that's not uh, what it is. So it's, a, it's a thing of history. It's something that did happen. Uh, I think of several times, even in 2 Samuel, uh, as we're going through that study on Sunday nights, pastor will come to some passages that we aren't supposed to do the things that David did. Uh, it is recorded history. Uh, There's also things of poetry, and this would be uh, Job through uh, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, uh, our entire books of poetry where it's uh, Hebrew poetry, it's not English poetry, or uh, I haven't read Spanish poetry, so I don't know how similar or dissimilar it is to that. Um, There you go. Uh, But Hebrew poetry putting a lot of emphasis on contrasting statements or complementary statements. So uh, you have Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And then it gives two more things, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So that's like section A and then section B. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So it's built on a lot of contrast, a lot of that. Uh, when you're reading Psalms and Proverbs, you'll see that again and again and again. Uh, you have prophecy, particularly in uh, the Old Testament prophets, uh, that are telling us things that are either going to take place in the future or that took place when Jesus was alive or even before then uh, with some different world powers. If you read the book of Daniel, uh, it has tons of poet. Uh, it doesn't have tons of poetry. It has tons of prophecy. And uh, it's just a great book for that. So tons of prophecy, as Micah mentioned, a lot of the prophetic things in uh, the Old Testament are some of the ones that are the hardest to understand. Uh, but they can... Uh, be beneficial to us as well. There are also letters that are written uh, from 
mainly the Apostle Paul to churches and to individual pastors and leaders. Uh, and we talked about that. Many of those would be ones that we're able to uh, just take something right from there and apply to our lives uh, really just right off the page. I think of even, uh, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, uh, that in the letters, it's really easy to get something for our lives because it was written uh, to churches. And that's the boat we'd be in. And then uh, kind of the last section would be apocalyptic uh, literature. There's some of this in the Old Testament, and then the book of Revelation would be the one that we know the most. It's kind of interlaced with prophecy, uh, but uh, it has elements of both poetry and prophecy. So uh, those are some of the sections that the Bible split into. And then last week we went over uh, really inductive Bible study is what he called it, but it's basically just figuring out, okay, What is the Bible saying? This is determining context. It's the who, what, when, where, and why uh, about the Bible. This week, uh, we're going to go over interpretation and application. And uh, there's one big thing that we need to remember with this, that understanding or the interpretation precedes the application. So you have to know what the passage actually means before you can apply it. Uh, You don't apply it and then figure out what it means. Uh, This comes from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Nothing in the Bible is of a private or personal interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake, moved by the Holy Ghost. And uh, this is why it's so important. Because God has given his word, first and foremost, through, as it mentions here, holy men of God that then were preaching these stories, that were writing some of them down uh, in all of these things because it was given to a specific person to preach the message or to write the letter to a specific people during a specific uh, set of circumstances and time, uh, geographical region. It matters. It matters Uh, the context. And so that's what we looked at a lot last week of, okay, who's in the story? Uh, When did it take place? Where did it take place? Why are some of these things being said? And uh, moving into some of what we're going into today, uh, like was said a couple weeks ago, many times we try to approach the Bible first by application. What is this telling me to do? What What am I supposed to do as a result of this passage of scripture? But it's not quite the correct approach. Why? Because there is one interpretation. There's one thing that the passage actually says. There are many applications. So what we can do as a result of the passage, there's tons of different ways that we can approach it. But there's only one thing that the passage actually means. If we start with application, we will end up with some weird interpretations at times. And the big thought here is that God's word cannot mean Uh, something to me that it could not mean to the original recipients. So uh, I have a few examples here, and one is a context example, and we have the verse here, Luke 4, 7. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Isn't that a great verse? Uh, What a great message could be produced from this verse. If we worship God, he will give us everything. And we could preach a great sermon about God's blessings and his prosperity from that. There's just one problem with that. Uh, does anyone know who is saying this? If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Satan's saying it. So that doesn't quite work. So we, if we try and read something else into it, uh, if we say, okay, I'm just going to spring from this verse, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine, and then go on and talk about God's blessings, uh, we are starting off on a really bad foot of literally quoting Satan. The principle of God's blessing on his children is real. We all know that God blesses his children. There's the whole section in Matthew 5 where it says, blessed are uh, the, the whole section of the Beatitudes. Uh, and then even in Psalm 1 that I mentioned earlier, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Uh, we sing a song from Psalm 34 that says, O fear the Lord, ye is saints, for there is no want or lack to them that fear him. So does God bless his children? Absolutely. 
But that is not the interpretation of Luke 4, 7. And if we try and, uh, if we try and squeeze that in there, or uh, I believe there was a notable uh, like verse of the day calendar that had just, you know, nice verses on there. But unfortunately, that specific verse was on there. But it's not as helpful. You're not getting good interpretation if you're using uh, the words of Satan to try and uh, talk about God's blessing. This next one is an example of original intent. First uh, Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, four or five years ago at this point, some people genuinely thought uh, that the word trump here, or trumpet, was actually a prophecy about how revival or the rapture would occur during the most recent presidency. So they thought, I see the word Trump in here. Trump's in the Bible. There's going to be a rapture. There's going to be some great thing that happens because of this. However, that is not what Paul meant when he wrote the passage, and that's not what the Thessalonians would have understood it to mean. Therefore, it cannot be the true meaning or interpretation of the passage. Uh, Despite the old English word Trump being used here, now we would say the word trumpet, uh, it's referring to a trumpet that will sound at the rapture. we focus first on interpretation, what the passage actually means or says, then on application, how we apply it. There are uh, occasionally some people that make this really, really weird jump from their application back into uh, interpretation. So Jeremiah 6.16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Uh, Some people take an application of this passage to be the primary meaning. Uh, An application being, use the methods that God has used in the past. And there can be a great thing of that, of using the Psalms that were written by so many great men of God and that God has given to us in his word and singing the Psalms. And I'm very thankful that we get to do many Psalms here. I think of Psalm 42 with the song, As the Deer, Psalm 103 with the song, uh, 10,000 Reasons. Uh, I think of uh, Step by Step, I believe is Psalm 63, if I remember correctly. And uh, just many hymns, or many psalms that we're able to sing as a church. And it's, it's a good thing to use some of the things that God has used in the past. However, some of these people, because of this application of using some of the methods that God has used in the past, uh, then make their interpretation of the passage that God is telling Israel through Jeremiah to uh, maybe always wear suits and ties to church or to sing only from hymnals and not use screens. Uh, They say, man, old paths are maybe back in the 60s and we should do everything like we did in the 60s. Those are the old paths. However, God is telling Israel to go look at the worship of Yahweh or Jehovah that they used to partake in and go back to those times. That's the actual interpretation of the passage is he's saying, hey, you guys used to be worshiping the real God in a real way. It wasn't a facade for you. Go back and look at those times and what you used to be doing then and do it in that way. Don't, do, uh, don't be worshiping facetiously or not genuinely like you are doing right now. So uh, there are some different things we have in interpretation the big word for it is hermeneutics. It's the rules for how we interpret a text, how we determine what the Bible's saying. And uh, the phrase that we use for this is we read scripture based on a normal, grammatical, literal, historical approach. Now, there's lots of different ways to uh, try and read the Bible that are not this way. Uh, Micah had a bunch of them listed Uh, Some of them are very complicated. Some of them are allegorical, where you look at everything and it doesn't really mean what it says. It means something else entirely. Uh, There's a liberal uh, approach or hermeneutic that would say, okay, if the Bible's talking about anything supernatural, if it's talking about anything we can't maybe see, taste, or touch, uh, it's not real. We uh, We shouldn't believe it when it talks about the Red Sea or the virgin birth or any of these things. Uh, there's many different ways, but how we read scripture is based on a normal, grammatical, literal, historical approach. 
what we mean by this is we have some basic rules of interpretation there on the flip side of your handout. We interpret a passage based on the ordinary rules of grammar. What it says, we take it at face value. Uh, we interpret a passage in the context of the genre, the book, the paragraph, and the sentence it exists in. So we look at, okay, what kind of thing is this? Is this a historical book? Is this a poetic book? Is this a prophetical book? Is this a letter? Is it one of these things? And, and we look at that. We look at, okay, what's the book that it's in? As we talked about before, who's this written to? Why is it being written? What are the circumstances? Uh, and so we do all of that. We look at the context. If the phrase or verse is part of a poem or other literary device, take that into account. Uh, it matters uh, what, uh, what genre it's in. So Isaiah 55, 12 is there on your handout. It says, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now, Here's what we mean when we say normal, grammatical. This is not necessarily saying that the trees, when Jesus comes back, will literally grow hands instead of branches and start clapping, or that the mountains and hills will literally grow mouths and vocal cords and begin singing. If, it, it would, it would scare me a little bit. <laughs> But I think I've seen a Pixar short or a Pixar movie that had one of these things happening. Uh, and so you're not disbelieving the Bible uh, if you say here it's obvious that it's in a poem or a song. If you look back here in Isaiah 55 and I think even chapter 54 is a long section of poetry that's just talking about the joy that there will be uh, when God makes all things new. And, uh, and so in this section... You are not doubting or disbelieving the Bible if you read this and you do it normally and grammatically. Normally, when we read something like this, it doesn't happen. Now, if this was in maybe a letter that an apostle was writing, uh, maybe if it was even in a thing of prophecy, like strictly prophecy, we might go, man, it's, it's a hard thing to believe, but God says it. But when we look at the context, we can say, okay, there's, there's a poem that's happening here and extolling the joy that'll occur at this time. So, um, <clears throat> so if the phrase or verse is part of a poem or song, take that into account. Next, be careful to discern the true meaning of words. And there's a couple of things here. Word study. See where else in the Bible the English word is used. And you can use a concordance. If you have a Bible app on your phone, it's super easy to just use the search function and uh, look through and see where else that English word is used in the Bible. Uh, from Genesis 3 all the way really, uh, I believe, I know for sure it's in Galatians 4 and then maybe even later, all throughout the Old Testament and even into the beginning of the New is weaved this thread of uh, in Genesis 3, it's the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. It's that descendant that is going to come and uh, is going to uh, restore everything. Obviously, we know that it's fulfilled in Jesus. And so you can see uh, every time seed is used in the Old Testament and even in the beginning of the New Testament, and you can see all the times that Jesus is talked about or prophesied or mentioned as coming. And you can do that by searching where the English word is used. Uh, using tools like maybe a Blue Letter Bible online, uh, eSword, Logos, or Strong's, you can see where else the Greek or Hebrew word is used. Uh, an example that Micah wrote down was in Ephesians chapter 6, and I believe it's verse number 4, it encourages fathers uh, to raise up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, nurture is maybe a word we don't use as often, uh, but the, word, the Greek word for nurture there is the exact same as in Hebrews 13, where it says, uh, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. So because those are the same, it affects a little bit how we read Ephesians 6, that we know, okay, it's nurture, it's chastening, and it kind of gives a fuller picture to how we read the word. Same in Hebrews 13, that we know that even when God is chastening us or correcting us, He's doing it in a way to nurture us. 
that he is helping us. And so these are things that can really just help us. And there's tons of online resources for completely no cost uh, that you can use to help. Uh, some other things to look out for are archaisms, words that we don't use in English anymore. Some of these that you'll find in the Bible are words like besom, uh, which just means broom, uh, the word emrod, which would be now the word hemorrhoid, the word ensue, which now means, or which, uh, means to pursue or to follow. And then there are uh, false friends, which are words that used to mean something in English, but their meaning has shifted. So uh, in James 2, Pastor was in just a couple, uh, probably weeks ago now in Strength for the Day. Uh, it says, if a man uh, comes into your assembly uh, with gay apparel, and uh, the word gay used to mean happy or festive or fancy, uh, we even still sing the song at Christmas time, don't we now our gay apparel? Uh, now it means something else entirely because the word meaning has shifted. Uh, another one of these would be the word host. Uh, it used to mean an army. So when you read in the Bible where it says Lord of hosts, that's Lord of armies. Uh, now a host is someone who receives or entertains others as guests, or it could also mean a large group of people. But when you read it in the Bible, it's an army. And uh, there's tons of these lists that you can find online uh, that mention a lot of these archaisms and false friends. I would steer clear of the one that's on the Mormon website, uh, which I did find today. Uh, but uh, then there's also the word meat, which used to just mean any food. So sometimes in the Bible, you'll see where it says uh, they sat down at meat. It doesn't always mean that they were eating chicken or beef. They wouldn't eat pork. Uh, but uh, in some of this, it used to just mean any food. So they sat down to eat food. And uh, now meat pretty much strictly means animal flesh used as food. Uh, one other thing that is mentioned here is if there is an apparent contradiction in Scripture, we resolve it by carefully looking at three things. So as we're going through, we're doing word study, we're looking at some of these things, we're taking into account uh, if it's part of a poem or some other literary device, uh, we're reading it normally, realizing, okay, there's some different genres, there's some different things happening in Scripture that I need to have a look out for. Uh, so if there's something that seems to be a contradiction, how do, we, how do we deal with that? We resolve it by carefully looking at three things. How is the subject first introduced in Scripture? Is there clear Scripture to help me understand this unclear Scripture? And is this resolved in progressive revelation? So sometimes there's something at maybe the beginning uh, books of the Bible that were like, man, that, that seems maybe really harsh or maybe that seems difficult. Uh, this kind of seems to be a contradiction. Maybe later in the Bible is explained, okay, here's why God did this thing, or here is uh, what God wants done with this, and it helps to resolve it. So if you come across maybe a couple verses, I think even in the book of Proverbs, uh, there's the admonition, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be like unto him. And then maybe I think two verses later, it says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own Conceit. I almost said deceit, but it's conceit. Uh, so here you have a thing that says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. So don't answer a uh, stupid isn't quite the word, but don't answer a stupid person according to his stupidity uh, because you will be like him. Another verse says, hey, answer a stupid person according to their stupidity uh, because otherwise they're going to be wise in their own pride, in their own conceit. And so here you have maybe something that would look like a contradiction, like, okay, which one does God want me to do? That's where we say, well, we have the Holy Spirit for a reason, where in some circumstances, the one thing needs to take place that we don't answer a fool according to their folly. And maybe in a different circumstance, someone needs to know that they are being wise in their own pride, in their own conceit, and they need to be warned. Uh, Another example here is in Matthew 7, 1. It says, judge not that ye be not judged. Versus 1 Corinthians 2, 15 that says, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So how can both of these things be true at the same time? Well, if you even read a little bit further in Matthew 7, 1, as Pastor did uh, maybe back in September, October, when he was going through the Beatitudes and uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the fact that when we, uh, when we judge others or when we're making uh, 
making distinction. Maybe we're warning someone about a path that they're on. Maybe uh, it's something of that nature that how we interact with people is going to be the same way that they're going to interact with us. So if we come to someone and we say, hey, you're not doing whatever this thing is in the word of God, but you know I'm not doing the thing that the word of God says, then you'll say, hey, you have no right to tell me when you're not even living by that. And so here you have the same exact thing being said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that a person that is spiritual is judging all things. He's, he's weighing, he's balancing, okay, what's right, what's wrong. It says, yet he himself is judged of no man because he's doing exactly what Matthew 7 says, that he's not having one standard for himself and another standard for other people, but it's the same across the board. And so he is not judged of anyone because he himself is living by that true standard. So if there's an apparent contradiction in Scripture, the vast majority of the times, if you read a little bit more of the context or if you compare Scripture with Scripture, uh, you can find uh, you can find easy resolutions there. And then there are just a few rules of application uh, there next on our sheet. Application should always be consistent with our observation and interpretation of the text. And there's three general rules of application. The first is that some scripture states a clear command to follow. As I mentioned, many of these come in the letters that Paul wrote. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. There's a very clear thing that he gives here. Hey, if you're rich, don't be proud. Don't think that you're something special because of your riches. Instead, be generous to those around you and be willing to give out your riches, be making a bigger importance on laying up treasure in heaven than laying, treasure, laying up treasure here on earth. It's a very clear command that's there. Some scripture implies a principle of cause and effect. I think here of Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Okay, and here it says, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. This is not a command telling us to all be farmers. Not all of us can be Jim. Uh, so it's not giving us a clear command in the sense of, hey, rich people, don't be proud be generous with other people, lay up treasure in heaven. It's not quite that. Here he says, let us not be weary in well-doing. He says, here's this principle that I want you to follow, that uh, you would not get tired of following the Lord. Because when the time is right, in due season, you're going to reap the benefits of it. And then here, some scripture narrates a truth. And I thought uh, Sunday's message, honestly, much of what pastor does, especially when he's preaching through the Old Testament, we've gone through, uh, even since I've been here, the book of Esther, the book of Hosea, the book of Judges, now the book of Nehemiah. Many of these Old Testament books narrate a truth. Uh, Nehemiah 9.2 says, And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Uh, and as pastors mentioned, separating themselves from strangers, these would be the people that were worshiping false gods, that were still in the land, that were leading them into idolatry. And so they separated from that and said, no, we're going to consecrate ourselves wholly to God. And uh, so when we read this, it narrates a truth. Are we supposed to only marry or worship with those of the same race or ancestry as ourselves? No, that's not what's being communicated here. The truth illustrated here is that we should remove or run from sin in our lives that goes against what God has told us. Narrates a truth here. So as you can see there, there's some just basic rules of interpretation of figuring out what the passage actually says and don't read application into the interpretation. Now I have here, uh, oh, no, it's not there, it's here. I have here some examples, and uh, I don't know how many, if any, have pens, uh, but I have here just a couple examples uh, that were written down that we'll talk through uh, very briefly about, um, 
about interpretation and application. And then the second sheet there is just a list of resources that uh, Pastor Micah had compiled on just helping us uh, to be able to learn. So we'll talk through some of this. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Okay, so if we want to look at what the interpretation of the passage is, we got to know, okay, who is he speaking to? So it's written from Paul to the Ephesian church. So that gives us our who. Uh, what, what does God want us to do or to know as a result of these verses? Forgive yep, forgive others to not have our hearts be filled with, uh, you know, this list here, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. Uh, this one's very easy. It's just, it's all laid out for us right there. And uh, this isn't a book of history. It's not a thing of poetry. It's just a letter to a church. Very easy to go, okay, man, this is the interpretation of the passage. What might be some applications of this passage? What, uh, maybe even from verse, uh, you know, from anywhere in there, what's an application for something that maybe the passage doesn't necessarily say, do this, but you might get from little bitterness and wrath be put away from you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That our natural reaction would be this. So don't allow your first reaction to be your reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're speaking because you'll see these negative uh, consequences that will come out of your mouth if you're not checking your words there. Yep. Yep. Or I think bitterness is one of the qualifications of that business too. So check what Absolutely. And uh, one thought that I just had as far as application was if I'm going to have all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from me then I should not put myself into situations where I know every time maybe that I turn on that channel or that I talk with this person about this topic, that every time I'm angry, I'm bitter, I should, uh, I think a day or two ago on Strength for the Day, we talked about this, that wisdom says run. It's don't be in those, don't put yourself in situations where these are going to occur, and you know they're going to occur. Uh, instead, put that away from you. Just like he mentioned, have no corrupt language that you're not down, uh, speaking down about others, you're not gossiping about others, uh, you're not speaking ill of other people. Those would be some applications of the passage of, okay, how do I have bitterness put away from me? How do I forgive other people? Those would maybe be some applications. Uh, this next one here I have because it's, History, uh, it's from a book of history about a specific person. Can you guys tell me who the person is? Ruth. Uh, Ruth 3, 3 through 4. Uh, Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Okay is the interpretation of the passage that all of us should wash and anoint ourselves, put our raiment on, get down to the floor, do not let it, yeah, exactly, and wait for the man to tell you what to do. That, that is not, this is not prescriptive, it is descriptive. 
So because of that, maybe just, uh, or so the primary interpretation of this passage is, this is history. So the interpretation is, Naomi tells Ruth exactly what to do. Uh, And if you read the whole rest of the chapter, all of the different things that transpire. So the interpretation of the passage is, this is history. These are things that took place with real people in real time. Some applications of this passage might be to uh, listen to those who maybe have uh, more experience than you. A good application might be to listen to those uh, who follow God and have good advice. In this case, uh, Naomi was telling Ruth, hey, here is the process that in the law, in Exodus through Deuteronomy, uh, this is the process that God has laid out for his people, the process of the kinsman redeemer. And so I'm going to help start you on this path. So we should listen to those who are telling us to do good things uh, and to follow God's word. That would be an application of the passage. Um, So that's just something simple there from the book of history. Uh, Flip the page, and in Proverbs 31, this is another one. So this is poetry. It's not history, and it's not a letter. Uh, But Proverbs 31, 18 through 21. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff, which I think is a staff, but this would be one of those archaic words that I would look up. Uh, Hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Okay, Uh, this is from Proverbs 31. Maybe you guys have heard before of the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, And this is that woman. Now, the interpretation of this passage is not if you are a good person or a good wife or a good woman, you're going to, there at the end, clothe everyone in your house in scarlet, or, exactly, correct, Uh, that is not the interpretation. In here, this is a section of poetry in which Solomon to Rehoboam is extolling the virtues of a godly woman, someone who knows uh, the value of a great work ethic, and he talks about it here, that she makes merchandise, she sells it, uh, she makes clothes, she gives to the poor and to the needy, she's generous, uh, all of these things. That's the interpretation of the passage. This is a poem specifically about uh, maybe some traits that a godly woman or a godly person, really, uh, would have. But we can make many applications from the passage. Um, I kind of mentioned a few of them, that uh, maybe we don't clothe everyone in our house or in our family with scarlet for the winter. That does not mean we're going against God's word. Uh, Even though it says right here, she's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. If you don't clothe your children and your, uh, you know, your wife, your grandfather, in scarlet for the winter, you're going against the word of God. That is not good interpretation. Uh, And so uh, maybe an application would be that a person who uh, is walking in wisdom, which Proverbs is all about wisdom, a person that's walking in wisdom uh, preps for what's coming. It's a good application that just as this woman isn't afraid of the coming hard months of winter because she is prepared beforehand, that's a great application. Man, I need to think, what in my life do I need to prepare for? Uh, I would say, do I need to prepare for a retirement? But I I feel like I'm probably a little ways away from that. Uh, But maybe it might be, man, I've got a trip coming up next month. What are some things that I can prepare now uh, to to go forward for that? Uh, You know, even at our church, what are some things we always know, like, Sunday's coming, Thursday's coming. What are some things I can do during the week to prepare my heart for hearing God's word preached, for listening uh, and and singing along in the services? I know that's something that I have to think about uh, when I'm doing the the music and things like that. I don't want Sunday to be the first time that uh, I really think about the words or the truths of a song. And uh, the same thing for our whole church. We know because pastor preaches verse by verse, uh, we know what's coming up next. Now we know it's going to be Nehemiah, either the end of Nehemiah 9 or the beginning of Nehemiah 10. 
So maybe on a Saturday night, I'll read a, a, a couple of verses from the upcoming passage so that when pastor comes up on Sunday morning, man, I'm not having to rethink and, and empty everything and then now focus in, but I'm already there. I've already read the passage. I'm excited for, okay, man, how, how is this going? How is he going to bring out some great application from this? Because I'm not building a wall. I'm, I'm not a Jewish person around a bunch of non-Jewish people. Uh, so there's some great application that uh, I love that pastor makes from many of these passages. So there are just some applications and interpretation we can get from Proverbs 31. This very last one, uh, people have actually, in relatively recent history, uh, done this literally because they didn't read it in a normal, grammatical, historical, literal sense. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members, or your body parts, should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, a strictly literal reading of this passage would say, if you ever lust, you should literally pluck out your eye. If you ever, uh, what does it say for the hand? If your hand ever does something wrong, it, this, this word offend is, a, uh, is one of the false friends I mentioned earlier, that when the Bible says offend, it doesn't mean like if I... Uh, I don't know, I guess say something about Dale's mom and it offends him, it, it attacks him, it, it wounds him in his spirit. That's not what offend in the Bible means. Uh, offend in the Bible, uh, there's a Hebrew term for it. It's called stumbling block that uh, you'll read about many times in scripture. Uh, it's You would be walking along a trail and there was, a, there, was a, there was a rock, there was something that you would trip over. It was something that caused you to sin. Uh, some of the words used in the Bible for this, uh, the Greek word would be scandalon. It's a scandal. It's something that trips someone else up and causes them to fall into sin. So here, if your right, if your right hand offends you, it's not that, man, you're just not good enough for me. But if your hand causes you to sin, that you would cut it off. Uh, as Pastor mentioned when he talked about the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this is a hyperbole. This is him exaggerating a little bit the effect uh, or the result that, you would, that would be preferable to having lust in your life. He says, hey, sin is so serious. Lust is so serious. Uh, your hand sinning is so serious. You should want to get that sin out of your life. Jesus is not, he is not saying, hey, you should just mutilate all of your body whenever you sin. That is not the point. The point is he's using hyperbole or a literary element here to describe just how serious sin is and how destructive it is to your life. So that's the interpretation of the passage. What would be some applications of this passage? What would be some things that we should do because Sin is so serious, and its consequences in our life are so severe. What are some applications of this? You have anything, Jim? Absolutely. And that passage doesn't say anything about TV in there. So it's not the interpretation, but that's a great application of I want to run from, I want to go out of my way to avoid sin. That's a great application of this. So I uh, want to get now just to uh, this page that says practical things to do in Bible reading and study. And... All of this, except for the actual physical spelling out of some of these podcasts, are all from 
uh, Pastor Micah. So if you don't like anything on this list, it's all him. Uh, Right there at the very top, before anything else in Bible reading and study, realize this. Expect and anticipate that God will speak to you directly and specifically. If you go into your Bible reading going, man, I'm not going to get anything out of this today. God's not going to talk to me. I'm not going to learn anything. You're right. You're not going to learn anything. You're not going to get anything from that day. If you go into it going, Lord, I want you to speak to me. I want you to help me today. I need your strength. You will absolutely find something uh, in God's word. So a couple of things here. Uh, Commit to consistency. Uh, Notice there, it doesn't say commit to perfection or pledge to perfection. Uh, It's commit to consistency that says, I'm going to be in God's word. I'm not going to leave it behind. If I miss a day, I'm not going to give up entirely. I'm just going to say, hey, for me, as a child of God, I'm going to be in God's word every chance I get. I'm going to be in it often. So commit to consistency. Choose a reading plan. There are so many, uh, I believe, in our More Than Conquerors books. There's one that you can read through the Bible in a year. Uh, We have a thing back there of reading through the New Testament in 90 days. Uh, There's many plans online that you can find that would maybe go through specific books, that would go through, uh, you know, specific segments of time, some that are tailored to the days of the year. Um, But choose a reading plan that works for you. It doesn't matter if you have the most robust reading plan in the world where you're reading 10 chapters a day. If you don't actually get to read through all 10 chapters a day. If you're working 80 hours a week, then a 10 chapters a day plan might not be the best option for you. So read something that you choose a reading plan that will actually help you to be able to read God's word. Decide on a format. This might be where you're doing your time with God. It might be when. Uh, It might be with, okay, I know I'm going to have this specific Bible on this specific nightstand, and at 6.45 every morning, I'm going to go to that nightstand. I'm going to read out of that Bible and do my reading plan. But decide on a format. Decide something definite that you're going to do. Uh, Try to familiarize yourself with the context. Uh, So maybe this might even be just pulling out a piece of paper and writing down, okay, these are some of the books of history. These are some of the uh, poetry books. This is uh, letters. These are prophecies. And uh, it'll kind of help a little bit with some context at the beginning of most of the books of the Bible. Uh, The author's name is mentioned, whether it's Paul or James or Luke or whatever one of the prophets, uh, many times they put their names right there at the beginning, and that'll give you a little bit of an idea of the context. There was also this very helpful thing that just came out called Google, and uh, Google can be a huge help with context. Uh, You can even see, okay, what was life like in 500 AD in Babylon? And you can see the kind of things that Daniel would have had to deal with. Uh, Were there a ton of false gods at that time? Were there any number of different things that you can see uh, if you're looking up the context? Look for the gospel in the text. Uh, Who is doing the saving in this story? So maybe you're reading the book of Judges. I know that's what the kids are going through right now in Clubhouse Kids. Uh, We went through it a couple years ago in Pastor Series Relentless. So who, who is saving? So maybe in the one story, it might be, uh, we went over last week, Ehud. And Ehud was the left-handed man who stabbed the fat king Eglon and uh, freed Israel. So uh, you might see, okay, who's doing the savings? So uh, we can see, okay, Ehud would be one that, at least in the story, is kind of picturing Christ to an extent because he is saving God's people. Who is being saved? Well, at this point, God's people. Uh, And so you can see maybe some different aspects. You can see, man, Ehud was left-handed. And you might think about Isaiah 53, where it says uh, of the coming Messiah uh, that he had no form or comeliness that we should desire him, uh, that Jesus himself wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't going to win any beauty contests. He wasn't uh, maybe the most standout person that anyone had ever seen physically. He looked just like anyone else. And uh, we can see the weakness that he put on in human flesh for our sakes. 
just like Ehud uh, was considered uh, weak or abnormal because he was left-handed instead of the normal right-handed. And uh, then you can see what is the cost for the saving or the rescue. And uh, many times we can see the great cost that it took for someone to fight a battle or to save someone. And it can point us to the cross and the, and the price that Jesus paid for us. So look for the gospel in the text. Uh, journal and determine to share what God shows you. If all you ever do is read and keep it to yourself and you don't, journal it, you never share it with anyone else, maybe it might help you, but you might easily forget it. If you're telling other people about what you've read, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, someone here at church, uh, maybe you even post it online. Uh, You have all of these things that you can do, uh, and uh, it just helps us to determine and share what God has done for us. Always diversify or engage with the Bible in other ways. Uh, you can listen to it. There are tons of audio Bibles online. I believe I've uh, even heard uh, James Earl Jones, the voice of Darth Vader, uh, who has just this awesome, deep voice. Uh, He read the Bible. I believe you can find that on uh, even just YouTube for free, that you'd be able to listen to some of these things. Listening to the Bible can really help give some color to the passage, where you're like, man, this just seems really dry. When you hear someone reading it, you can go, oh man, I I never thought about it with that word inflection. That makes way more sense. So you can listen to it. You can read about the Bible. And uh, these might be books that you can uh, use and and read. There are several in the back that we have. Uh, Pastor would be able to give you as well some great uh, recommendations for things that you can read about the Bible. I was just reading uh, a book at lunchtime uh, about the history of the English Bible and uh, just some of the great things with that. And uh, you can read the Bible out loud. You don't have to listen to someone else read it out loud. You can read it out loud. And uh, you can do that. You can hear it taught through podcasts. And uh, I filled in some different podcasts you could listen to. Uh, Strength of the Day. Pastor's already gone uh, through James. He's gone through many different topics. Now he's going through some different Proverbs. Uh, So if you want to hear, you know, some things about God's Word, you can do it uh, by listening to Pastor Strength of the Day. You can catch it on Facebook or on Spotify or iTunes or wherever else. If you do Facebook, though, you can see Pastor's face. It's more fun. Uh, There's also Bible Bowels. Uh, which is mine and Carlos's podcast. I actually, me and him have uh, pop sockets, which is basically just phone holders that have the Bible Babbles thing on it. Uh, but Carlos and I really, uh, I've always had a, a heart. I've always loved a lot of the stories of the Bible. I haven't always known what the application of it was. And so it's been something that Carlos and I have gone through together and we went through the book of First Kings and now we're in the book of Joshua, just going over some of these stories and uh, they're incredible stories of great things that God has done and uh, just seeing some applications that we can make uh, from the passage. Uh, there's Pastor Micah's Wenatchee in the Word. He's going through the book of John right now. So if you're in John in your Bible reading, you might be able to hop right in and uh, see some, uh, I believe that one in particular is maybe five to 10 minutes. Pastor's tends to be uh, between 12 and 17. Uh, mine and Carlos's, just because we're going over stories, tends to be about 18 to 25 at about the longest. I normally cut us off after that. Uh, And then right there at the bottom, you can see Everyday Truth, and that's with our pastor friend, Kurt Skelly. And he's gone through many books of the Bible, and you can find that online. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Facebook. uh, Tons of different places that you can see that. So you can hear it taught through podcasts. Uh, It's basically just a mini sermon. Uh, then you can memorize it. This is a great thing you can do. Back in the day, this was all people had. People only had memorizing the Bible because there weren't a bunch of copies of Scripture. Uh, You know, the printing press wasn't made until, uh, yeah, 1400s or so. So for 1400 years, people had to hand copy every single Bible. And so many people did not have access to these. Many people couldn't even read at this point in history. So all they had was memorizing God's word. So they would read a section of it in church and and people would say it and they would think about it and they would think about it all through the week, maybe as they were uh, plowing, as they were doing whatever work that they were doing. And all they had was God's memorized word in their head. Now, 
you do not have to memorize the entirety of any book of the Bible. But maybe as you're reading through uh, in a day, maybe you'd find just one verse that you'd say, man, I, I, I want to think today about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you just think about that throughout the day. That, man, if I have, if I have God as my shepherd, I'm not going to lack anything that I need. So maybe when I have some thoughts about, oh man, I, I really wish I had this car. I wish I had this thing. I can remember because I'm meditating. I'm thinking about the verse that I memorized. Man, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to be in lack of anything that I need. If God's given it to me, then I can rejoice because he's given it to me. If I don't have it, it's because he knows I don't need it quite yet. He hasn't quite given it to me and I don't have to the Old Testament word for it would be covet. I don't have to covet it. Uh, another thing you can do is you can rephrase it or do a personal paraphrase. And uh, I believe Pastor Micah did uh, something about Second um, Timothy 2, 14 and 15 last week. Uh, but this is something I do as well. Just rephrase the Bible or have a personal paraphrase of how you understand the passage. Um, so I did this, uh, I'm going through some of 1 John and some of Romans as well, where I have like a Word document or something. You could hand write out just a, a couple of verses, maybe just the verse you want to think about for the day. Uh, but I have on a Word document, uh, just text of the Bible, and then I copy that, paste it, and then I just rephrase it. Um, and it just helps me to see where I'm at, like how I understand it, and uh, some of that, and what it would mean or what it would be in my own language. So it's, it's kind of like the Brian Self version. Uh, but uh, as he mentioned, this isn't necessarily something that uh, you're not creating your own Bible and handing out to every person, but it's just something that you rephrase it in a way that it, it clicks for you. you. You understand it. This is how you would say it to someone else. If someone's asking about Jesus, if someone's asking about uh, God, you know, how would you phrase this sentence. So, uh, for example, just one of the verses from uh, 1 John 1, uh, the, the verse says, verse 2, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So I, I kind of paraphrased it myself. For the life was revealed and we have seen him and, and testify and show to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. I didn't do a whole different other thing, but just if I was saying 1 John 1, 2 uh, of my own volition, of my own words, my own vocab, how would I say it to someone? And this just helps it to get ingrained in your heart, in your mind. You can just write out maybe one verse a day, and you can make the gym version. <laughs> There's like the King James version, or the King Jim version, and then Farmer Jim version, the FJV. Uh, and uh, that's just something that you can do that's, that's on this list. You can rephrase it or have a personal uh, paraphrase just to keep it in your head. Set aside some times to read larger portions of Scripture. This helps you with context. You might not do this every day, but you might do it maybe once a week or once a month where you read a larger section of Scripture. Uh, pastor's been doing this reading plan where he goes through one book of the Bible every day for a month. And so he knows, he knows very well now uh, the books of James, of Colossians, of 1 Timothy, just ones that he's been uh, each month in January. He's reading one book 30 plus times, uh, completely apart from any of the rest of his study. So he really knows these books now because of that particular reading plan that he does. You don't always have to do the Bible in a year. You don't always have to do uh, everything. Okay, I have to read from Genesis to Revelation in the order it was written every single time. And then I have also on here, ask for help. Uh, whether that's another Christian, one of your friends, any one of the pastoral staff here at MLBC, uh, we would love to help you understand the Bible more. If you ever have questions, if you ever go th have things of, man, I, I don't know if I understand this. That is quite literally what we are here for. Uh, I, I do the music. I do, you know, whatever other number of things around the church. But my primary purpose is to help people understand and love and follow God. Uh, pastor 
does tons of different stuff. He's a, he's a chaplain. Uh, he does so many things for our church, but his primary purpose is to help equip our church to know and understand and follow God. Uh, you can even see this in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 and 12, where it says, uh, And Christ gave some apostles and prophets and, pa- and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the edifying of the saints, uh, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to the edifying of the body of Christ. God has literally given churches, pastors and teachers, not to be the great Christians and everyone else is just the little Christians. No, not at all. God has given pastors and teachers to the church so that they can help equip you as a believer to be everything that God wants you to be. We are a mean, us as pastors and teachers are a means to an end, the end being that you all would be perfected and equipped for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, We are not an end in ourselves. Uh, Y'all's perfection, (laughs) y'all's perfection and maturity is what God is after. And uh, love that thought. Then a couple of resources that are here. The Bible Project, uh, they have some uh, great YouTube videos uh, that you can watch that are summaries of the books of the Bible. Very, very helpful. There's lots of fancy uh, drawings and stuff that they do that make it really clear uh, what the book is about. These have been a great help to me, and I know Pastor Mike had discovered them just a few uh, weeks ago, and uh, these are just very helpful. If you want to know what a book of the Bible is about, look up The Bible Project, and then Nehemiah, or the Bible Project, Acts. Great resources. Uh, Then some uh, study Bibles that you could look at are the Life Application Study Bible. This helps with application for your life. Uh, The Daily Walk Bible, or the Everyday with Jesus Bible, both just helping with reading plans and things like that. Uh, Reese's Chronological Study Bible, which uh, arranges the Bible I believe Pastor Micah mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the Bible itself is not chronological in order. It doesn't go from like beginning of time and then all the way through everything is what happened in order. Um, but the Reese's Chronological Study Bible shuffles everything so that it is in chronological order. So you'll be reading some of Genesis and then all of a sudden you'll hit Job and then it will be back in Genesis. And then you might get one of the Psalms that was written by whatever person. Uh, and so the Reese's Chronological Study Bible, I have one that was given to me by uh, one of the editors uh, of it. And just a great study tool that you can have uh, that kind of helps out in that area. Uh, there are tons of online resources. Some of these are Bible Hub or Bible Gateway, eSword, Blue Letter Bible, Logos, Bible Study Tools, or the Bible app on phones or uh, tablets or anything like that. Tons of electronic resources that are completely free that you can download that just help you to find context and the, and the proper interpretation. Super easy, completely free, and uh, so great to have. And then commentaries. Uh, some of these that would be kind of easier to follow are J. Vernon McGee's Through the Bible. I used to just read the commentaries for, you know, an hour, hour and a half as, uh, as a kid and teen because it just brought the Bible to life. It gave so much color to uh, the time that some of these books were written in and some of the applications we can make for our day today and uh, just great things. And then sermons from MLBC, I already mentioned it, uh, but pastor uh, and how he goes through books of the Bible or specific sections of scripture at a time is so helpful to be able to uh, know, okay, how, how do I do that when I read the Bible? Well, when you're going through and maybe you're reading Judges and you go, I don't understand this at all. What, what is it trying to say here? What am I supposed to do? You can go back to pastors, uh, you know, one of the relentless sermons and listen to it and go, oh man, yeah, I remember that. And, uh, and that's a great thing that can happen from uh, even some of these sermons. Okay. That is pretty much all we have for uh, some of this paper. I hope some of that would be, well, I hope all of it would be a help to you, but I hope some of it would stick with you. And as Pastor Micah mentioned, uh, obviously we talked about a lot today, um, and we have talked about a lot over the past four weeks, but as Pastor Micah mentioned, God knows your heart. (laughs) 
Uh, if you don't go through all of these things every time, if you don't go through all of these things once a year, you are not a lesser Christian because of any of it. Uh, these are just tools that uh, others have handed down really through years and years and years that we're able to go, okay, how do, we, how do we not be the person that cuts off our hand because we literally thought we had to cut off our hand if we wanted to follow God? Uh, these are just things that help us with knowing what does the Bible say, what does it mean, and then how do I apply it to my life? So hope that would be an encouragement to you. Uh, let's take just a brief moment in prayer. Uh, I'm going to turn off the live stream, and then we have uh, here some, actually, I think I already handed out all the uh, prayer sheets, I believe. Sweet. All right. Well, then uh, maybe just spend a moment in prayer and uh, let's ask God to uh, help us to grow as a Christian in reading our Bibles. You can do so many things with the Bible, but the most important part of all, I believe, is, as Pastor Micah had mentioned before, is our heart before God. That we say, God, whatever you say in your word, I want to follow through, I want to apply to my life, and I'm completely yours. That's the most important part of any Bible study is saying, I will choose to follow God. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.